You're listening to the Chelsea Zerna Podcast, a podcast that inspires conscious leaders to live meaningful lives and to get in touch with the deepest parts of the human experience. My name's Chelsea Zerna, and I'm a women's empowerment coach with the mission of rewilding the feminine back into society. Each week, I have a conscious conversation with best-selling authors, inspiring leaders, and spiritual lightworkers who aren't afraid to step into the unknown and explore the greatest truths of life. Thanks for listening. We have conversations like this all the time. It's nice to, uh, to know that a few people can listen into this one. Yeah, so yeah, we do have a lot of deep spiritual conversations. Most people know Matt as uh, a boxer. Uh, an entrepreneur, uh, a leader, and he also has this other side to him, this spiritual side. So Matt and I are actually uh, hosting a retreat together in Bali, and we're going to be going into a lot of this topic and how he kind of got on this spiritual path. So why don't you go ahead and tell people a little bit about yourself? Sure. So uh, I was born just outside Philadelphia. Uh, my parents were young when they had me. I wasn't exactly planned. Uh, they stayed together about nine months after I was born and separated. And I ended up moving around a lot with my mom growing up. Uh, we moved seven times before landing in Atlanta, where I did my high school years. Uh, I went to Westminster here, and then I went to University of Georgia. I came back here for a year of law school at Georgia State. And then I withdrew. Uh, and that's that's when I feel like my life really began. I feel like everything else was kind of a, a runway and not that it was insignificant because it, it made me who I am. I, I picked up a lot of my core values and, and zeroed in on a lot of my strengths when I was young. But um, withdrawing from law school is really my first act of, of, of independence, of asserting my own identity on the world and, and not exactly getting my parents' approval to, to do that. Um, and, and I'd say I, I had... Uh, begun my spiritual journey when I was a kid, but um, then it was really uh, just kind of between me and God. There, there wasn't any more uh, parental pressures to be a certain way or, or any kind of societal societal norms that I was giving a lot of weight to. That, that's when it was really, okay, what, what do I believe? Why do I believe it? And how am I going to live as a result? Sure, for sure. And you had an experience where you uh, almost died, right? Yeah. So uh, in college, um, I guess the year before I went to law school, mm-hmm. um, I had a pretty traumatic brain injury. I, I was playing club soccer, um, and I was, I was center defense. So it was my job to keep the, the ball out of the net. And uh, one of the, the, the wingers on the other team took the ball down the sideline, crossed the ball in, so it was in the air. Um, and I jumped up to head it away from the goal. And at the same time, the striker from the other team jumped up to try to head it into the goal. And our heads collided while we were both going for the ball. And um, the, the crown of his head, so the, the hardest part, kind of the center of his forehead, uh, ended up hitting the, the temple of my head. So really the softest part. There's, there's really nothing between uh, your brain and, and the skin on your, your temple. So um, it was pretty much direct impact and I immediately lost um consciousness when he when he struck me. So um I I basically all I remember from that is is a, a feeling of separation from my body. So I was I was above myself. I watched myself fall kind of in, in slow motion. Time didn't really exist. Um and and I remember a, a golden thread or chain that, that connected me or, or whatever I was up in the sky down to my, my body. And as I was falling, I got all these flashes of, of things that had happened in my life. I got flashes of things that I, I didn't recognize that were either, um, you know, hadn't happened yet or, or you know, not, not connected to, to me, Matt, at, at all. Um, and, and it just felt like I was up there for an eternity, even yeah. though it was only a, a few seconds in, in you know, real time. And um, at, at a certain point, I felt this, this sudden urge to break this chain, to, to sever this, this thread, this connection to um, you know, my, my vessel, my, my body, yeah. and, and to move on. And, and all I heard was not yet, and I was, I was back in my body. And that happened at the moment that I, I hit the ground. 
So, um, you know, back in kind of like real, real life, I hit the ground and I, I'd, I'd been, you know, knocked hard and, um, and everyone saw the game stopped. As soon as I hit the ground, I popped back up on my feet. It was kind of unnaturally fast. And then, um, the referee and my other center defender, um, looked at me in the eyes and told me afterwards that my eyes kind of like shook up and down, up and down, up and down. They're like, um, mm-hmm. vibrating and they rolled all the way back and I collapsed. Um, so, you know, just to recap, I jumped up the head of the ball, got struck in the head, um, had this out of body experience, hit the ground, was back in my body, shot up on my feet, um, kind of, you know, um, uh, short circuited <laughs> or whatever. And my eyes rolled back and then I was completely unconscious. And, um, you know, they, they called an ambulance. I went to the, the hospital. Uh, I was in the ER for most of that night. They were trying to keep me awake and um, doing some tests. I had a, a major concussion. And um, my girlfriend at the time was with me, and they, they asked her to um, stay with me for the next three days. So, you know, she took time off work. And uh, I, I really couldn't do anything. Anytime I sat up, I was, I was throwing up. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't keep much of anything down in terms of water or food. I couldn't take any kind of light. Yeah. Um, couldn't watch TV. Couldn't read. Um, so it was a really dark time. I don't remember much from it. Um, I, I'm a habitual journaler. I really, I really didn't journal that much during that period. It's just kind yeah. of this, this black yeah. period of my, my life. But when you, when, you, when you were in that moment where you had the choice, you almost described it like you had the choice of either cutting that thread or not, and you heard a voice that said not yet, or you said not yet. Yeah, I, I don't know. But, and and you, met, you bring up choice, and this is something we can talk more about, but I, I really don't give too much weight to the idea of, of choices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't think... I don't think if I, you know, overpowered that voice that said not yet, that I would have been able to move on or, or whatever. You know, it, it, it was or just kind of going with the flow. I had this feeling that I wanted to, to cut ties. I wasn't deciding to. Yeah. So I was kind of flowing with that, and then I heard not yet on the back of my body. Gotcha. So it wasn't – I don't think it was my voice. Um, and if it was my voice, then I don't think it came from me. You yeah. Know, um and we talk about that a lot, free will versus, you know, destiny. And you have said a few times that you think your story is pre-written. You're not choosing. Can you go into that and why that is and what situations have happened in your life to even make you go into that direction? Because most people kind of lean into, I'm in control of my life. I'm deciding my life. That gives people security but you really feel like you're making choices, right? But you feel that you're, you're guided like, strongly in a certain path. Yeah. So, um, this is a really complex issue. It's something I've, I've thought a lot about, but don't claim to have figured out or, totally. um, you know, I, it's, I, and I think it's something that's a different balance for everyone. But from, from my personal experience, I, I think on a macro level, in terms of what this life is, all zoomed out, what the, what the story of, of Matt Thomas is, is written. Yeah, I think the, the, the end point, the, the significance of this life is um, it's more or less set, set in stone. Um, and there's no evidence I have to back that up. I don't have data. I don't, it's, it's just a feeling. And um, on a micro level, I think there's a lot of control over how I get to that end point. Mm-hmm. So on a macro level, there's this northern star, this purpose that I'm pursuing. And on a micro level, I get to choose the path to, to that end point, um, if there is an end point. So um, you know, on that, on that micro level, I think that's where people get really caught up of thinking they have all this control yeah. and, and, and really kind of projecting that um, perception of control to the to the macro level, of I can be anything I want to be. Yeah, I don't really believe that. I, I think mm-hmm. we're all born in certain places at certain times with certain natural affinities and natural setbacks, and and all of those um, all those preconditions, I think, affect where our uh, where our lives take us mm-hmm. and, and what that what's written on that tabula rasa. Like I think I think we are born with a with a 
blank slate or a um, you know or, or, or with, with a blank page that we can write our story on, but it's not it's not something that um, where every piece of paper is made from the same material. Mm -hmm. Some some people are writing on papyrus and some are writing on printer paper. Yeah, and, yeah. you know it's it, there's a um, we're all different for a reason. Uh, so you know not everyone can can end up being the same thing and to the same degree. Mm -hmm. So kind of getting that point home, but it's because, you know, I, once, once I came to terms with that and accepted that, I, I was able to let go of, of these, um, these feelings uh, or, or pressures to become something I thought I wanted to be. Um, but but was really like a, a symptom of external pressure. Yeah, you know, for it, sure. There's a period in my life where I, I wanted to be a tech entrepreneur, and I, I set myself up to do that on a micro level. I was making all the decisions that that were pointing me towards um, having the skill set, having the network, um, having the legitimacy in the cloud to be able to go out, fundraise, bring a product to market, and, and scale it to a company that I could sell or or take public. Mm -hmm. um, and, and when it came down to it, the things that were coming most naturally to me, the things that were lining up, were not necessarily in that realm of, of tech entrepreneurship. Um, and so once I kind of surrendered, let go, said, okay, where, where is this life taking me? That, that's most natural. That's effortless. That's just me being. Yeah. That's when life got infinitely more happy and successful and yeah um, the, the right people started coming to my life the right experiences started to, to manifest and for sure um the, the shifts really happened totally and i think a lot of people especially growing up it's very easy to look externally and say this person's doing it right this person's doing it right and kind of look outside to get all of these hints of what success is and I think it actually takes more effort, especially in our culture, to say, well, I'm here with this skill set, with these desires, with this natural ability. This is exactly what I feel I want to be doing. Maybe it's not in society's expectations. Maybe it's going against the grain. You know, tech entrepreneurship is probably a lot more secure than going out and starting a nonprofit. Um, especially, you know, in college. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I went through that as well with IBM and then switching into coaching. I was so caught up in what success meant and, um, why, uh, and what I really wanted. And I, and I, it took me a long, long time to say, uh, I, I can, I, it took me a long time to gain enough confidence and enough worth to be like, I can do this. I can be a coach, even though I'm not in my forties or fifties. I think a lot of people for sure struggle with that, um, which is the main reason I'm helping people kind of discover purpose is because I feel like I was so caught up in the expectations of other people and listening externally. I think it's so <laughs> important to go internally for sure. Yeah. So um, I would, I'm curious about your relationship to structure and in, in, in following your intuition because you are one of the most intuitive people that I know, or you're very, you, you listen to the signs a lot of life. And I know that you read the book, the alchemist almost every year. Like how did that journey start? Like, where did that come from? Did, were you always super intuitive? Did you always follow your intuition or was this something that you're like, wow, there's something to this. I want to start getting into this more and follow it. Like how did that whole thing evolve? Like anything, it was a it was a journey to that. It, it wasn't something where uh, you come out of the womb that way. Um, but I, I think I grew up in a in a unique way where I was splitting time between my parents. I, I was never with them at the same time. So um, you know, my my mom liked certain things about me. We we spent our time together in certain ways that led to me being a certain kid around my mom. That was fundamentally different from the kid I was around my dad. And so even from a young age, I was like, okay, I'm not just one person. I, I'm different people around different people, uh, according to who I'm surrounded by. So in class, I'm, you know, I'm school mat. And around dad, I'm, I'm my father's son. Around my mom, I'm my mother's son. Around my soccer team, I'm, I'm soccer mat. You know, so I, I, I kind of got a sense that, like, okay, we can change. Uh, 
pour into our environment. We're all a, a degree of a chameleon, you know, which we can change our colors. And once I, once I kind of leaned into that, I was like, okay, well, I'm constantly changing all the time. Who, who actually am I? Am I a chameleon or, or is there something underneath that, that is constant? Yeah. When I started digging yeah. into that consistency, that, that core, I think that's when I started to uncover my principles, my core values, and, and really figuring out um, who I am, why I am, and, and what I'm going to do with that. And a, a great resource for helping to get in touch with that part of ourselves is The Alchemist. It's it's a book that um, you know has, has been translated into dozens of languages. Uh, it's been read by everyone from prominent people like presidents and ex-presidents all the way down to um you know people you you and i've never heard of um and, and you know the, the countless people that um that that have have had their lives changed by that book is um i think speaks for itself but it, it affects everyone in different ways and the way it affected me was um my my background is in history and comparative literature I'm, I'm obsessed with stories i live my life as if it's one big story yeah. and, um, and and the archetypal journey of, of Santiago and, and the alchemist is uh, an epic you know, hero's journey. It's this um, little shepherd boy that goes through this tremendous transformation on his journey to finding treasure. And we all have treasure in our lives. We all have this Northern star, this purpose that we're pursuing with, with our life. And just like we were talking about before, if you zoom out to that macro view, we're all on this shepherd's journey. We're all Santiago. And on a micro level, um, it, it's easy to get caught up in uh, short-term setbacks or, um, or adversity that, that seems um, contrary to, to what our, our path is or our purpose is. Um, like when Santiago gets caught up in the, uh, in the crystal store, you know, he, he's, he, he really gives up on his dream and he, he decides that he's going to earn just enough money to, to buy his flock back and to get back to where he started. But really what he was doing is he was learning skills that would become essential for later in his journey. And, and so if we take that micro moment and zoom in on, on who Santiago was in that crystal shop moment, he was a, a shepherd before and he was going to be a shepherd again. But if we zoom out and see it as, as a smaller part of a larger whole, then we know what that, that period of adversity meant uh, and that, that, that short season of, of doubt, what, what role it played in the larger story. And so when, when I experience ebbs like that in my life, when I experience you know, stormy weather, um, that a constant practice that I've taken from the alchemist and other resources that I apply to those seasons is zoom out, look at it for, for how it can serve this, this larger purpose, this larger story. Don't yeah. get caught up in fear or self doubt just because it's hard right now. Um, and, and I think a, a key component to life, a, a, a takeaway that everyone can use is, is, Asking yourself how you can turn adversity into armor or struggle into strength. How can you frame whatever is going on in your life right now and, and use it for something positive? For sure. Um, and, and as long as you respond to adversity that way, I'm, I'm not saying go to go through life like skipping and delusional, like everything is is rainbows and butterflies. Because it's not a life of suffering, but it's what we do with that suffering that that makes us significant. Um, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the people with the best stories that impact the most number of people or, or that live the truest lives or the people that can make their suffering mean something. Definitely. Definitely. They say a lot of your purpose comes from your pain and emotions aren't necessarily negative. They're not there to make us miserable. They're there to expand us. Um, and when we have a negative emotion, it's, it's always useful to see it as, okay, why is this triggering me? How can I grow from it? How is this related to, the bigger picture. And for you, I know that one thing that you usually say is it's not about me. This isn't about me. And per the difference between purpose and desire, we, we desire a lot of things, but our desires not, don't always lead us to our purpose. Purpose is something that's um, bigger than us. I think desires are really just a, an expression or a, um, 
a projection of our ego. You know, desires, um, desires generally lead to something pleasurable, and, and we do seek pleasure, especially in a, a lifetime full of suffering. It's a nice respite from you know the usual pain. Um, but the desire, desire can um, it, it can help work and hurt, and 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 I think. I think how much it helps or how much it hurts is, is in the balance of, of how much you lean into your desire. If you live fully based off of desire and you don't temper your actions with, with wisdom at all, um, then it can lead some, to, to some pretty satanic kind of places. Like you're, you're going to lean into to vices, to, to over, overindulgence and, and things that bring you pleasure. Um, but, but I think if you, if you use your experience and, and the experience of others to help inform decisions or, um, or what desires are good desires to lean into, then you can live a much happier, healthier kind of life that isn't just fully driven by pleasure. For sure. And, um, and I think an example of that is, is, um, I mean, let's, let's use physical pleasure. It's if, if, um, if you love, uh, the, the feeling of endorphin release and, and that's kind of your, your end point. Well, there's a lot of ways to get there, right? You can, you can go for a run, um, and, uh, and, and exercise and that's a way to get endorphin release. You can have sex. Um, and, and that's a, a healthy way to, um, to, to have endorphin release and, and share intimacy or connection with someone else. But in both of those, there's a, there's an element of overindulgence that can really hurt you. You, you can, um, you can overtrain, you can run yourself into an injury, or you can become addicted to uh, either the release or the um, the, uh, the intimacy of, of sex. And, and so I think with anything in life, there's a spectrum of, um, of how much to do anything that brings pleasure or pain. Because I, I, I lean more on the pain side. I, I, I invite challenges and opportunities for growth more so than um ways to, to pat myself on the back or, or pleasure myself for it's, sure it's um yeah I'm, I'm more on the masochism side than i am on the, the pleasure seeking side because i want to get the most out of myself i want to get the most out of this life um and and that can be taken too far for too. sure um just kind of you know boxing myself up and and keeping myself from things that that bring me joy so it, it can happen on both sides um and, and, and I think, I think walking that line and figuring out what's, what's the right balance for each individual is, is important. There's no, nothing I can say, or you can say that can make someone listening say, oh, there's my balance. It, it's something where you constantly have to test yourself. You have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. You have to put yourself in comfortable situations and see how you manage it. Um, and, and you have to, uh, through trial and error, learn about yourself and, um, in growth inducing ways. For sure. And you definitely do tend to lean more towards pain. Is that because you specifically find that you've grown in your life more towards pain than from inspiration? Because there's the, I mean, there's, there's, there's the two different ways of growing. You can grow through pain. You can also grow through inspiration. I think it's the Ken Shaw versus the Satori, right? Like why, where is it for you that you found you keep leaning harder and harder into pain or like you kind of go and, and put yourself in experiences that actually, you know, will bring you pain, but you do it to experience pain. Yeah. And so, I mean, on a basic level, I'll repeat this, but pain is progress. Adversity is armor. Struggle is strength. These, these things are things that um, I don't just say, but I, I've experienced and I believe based off of empirical evidence it's it's not um i, I think a thing about working out we'll, we'll use fitness as a metaphor again it, it doesn't feel good to break down muscle it doesn't feel good to be sore the next day but that's what makes you stronger you're doing those those reps bringing yourself to the point of failure bringing yourself to the point of pain is what opens up potential for more mm -hmm. so getting outside of your comfort zone it, it may feel uncomfortable but that's that's the point you're, you're expanding where you've been, what you've experienced, you expand what you think is possible for yourself when you when you put yourself through something you're not used to, which which is just another way to say pain. For sure. Now, how do you do that in your daily life? Like, what goes through your mind when you're sitting there thinking, "I'm going to do this 
even though one, I have fear, or two, this is going to be really painful just because I want to grow more. Mindfulness, the, the ability to zoom out and see life as this macro experience, even though I'm in a micro moment. So, you know, the, the presence of mind to be like, okay, um, here's what my ego wants to do. And here's why here are these desires or here's, uh, you know, how I want to feed uh, a superficial part of myself or um, here's what will make me look good on social media or sound good to my parents or whatever. And, and then zooming out and saying, okay, how does this serve this overall purpose? How do I, how do I use that macro view as a backdrop to say, Hey, what should I actually do in this situation? And maybe it's still, you know, what, what would make my parents happy? It doesn't necessarily rule it out just because it makes my parents happy. I shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's important to look at decisions in, through multiple perspectives. You know, ultimately I make the decision based off of gut and feeling, but, but I think, I think going through the, the process of applying logic or, or wisdom or experience to decisions kind of, kind of helps um, inform the gut or at least provide context for what it means once you go with your, your gut decision. For sure. And what is a moment in your life where you felt like everything in life was telling you this is not logical, like everyone's telling you not to do it, and your intuition was saying, I have to lean into this, I have to go for it, and you did it anyways? Yeah, I think the the situation you're describing, it, it um, it's similar to some of the most significant crossroads in my life. And then the one that came to mind when you brought it up was um, – I, I had been in a, a, a technology startup called Rody, the B2C delivery app, um, kind, of, kind of like Uber, but for packages instead of people. Um, I've been with them for two years. So I've been with them pre-launch, uh, no website up yet, no users. And um, and we had built it to over 100,000 users working with um, companies like Home Depot and, and Delta. And, and um, you know, I'd seen this thing go from zero to one. And... Uh, I'd worked in every department and, and I'd been able to design my own role. I, I was head of expansion. So whenever we went into a new market, I was the guy that got to go and um, recruit drivers and sell small businesses and train the Delta staff. And, and it, it was giving me the opportunity to get paid to see the country. And um, you know, I'd, I'd gone to 15 states in, in a year and, and spent significant time there to, to get the market up and running. So um you know, to travel is a big part of my life and, and to be able to do that as part of my job, it was uh, really a, a, a beautiful uh, chapter. And yeah. during that chapter, I went on a family vacation to Costa Rica. And um, while I was there, I had um, I downloaded Tinder for the first time. Um, a, I, I'm really not into dating apps, but a friend recommended it while I was traveling internationally with family. It's like it's if you don't want to be going to bed at 9 p.m. with your younger siblings and your older parents, if you actually want to see, you know, part of where wherever it is you're going, download Tinder and just say like, hey, trying to meet up and um, you know make friends, practice Spanish, um, see nightlife, whatever. Yeah. And so I did that, and I ended up connecting with this girl in Monteverde, and um, she had lived in Monteverde her whole life. Her her, she's a descendant of one of the founding families of this little Costa Rican town. And so she knew everyone and knew where to go. And, and for uh, like three days, we, we just um, explored her town and I got to see it through a local's eyes. And um, we, we went out dancing. We, um, you know, we went to a, a reggae concert together and, and hung out with the artist and, and just had all these amazing experiences. And I, she ended up introducing me to, to one of her friends that I really connected with. I ended up talking to um, for a few hours one night. And he owned um, the only four-star um, hotel in the area. And, um, and it was an eco-luxury resort. It was kind of like up on the, the hill uh, in this little town. And, um, and I was just so fascinated by his life experience because his, his family was a, was a hotel family, you know, they owned hotels all over Costa Rica and this was kind of his, his one. And they had sent him abroad to learn hospitality in in Europe and, um, and, and other like key hospitality markets. And he came back using that knowledge to help innovate on, on Costa Rican hospitality, which, um, is their, their second biggest industry behind 
farming. Uh, you know, they basically live off of tourism. Yeah. Um, and, and so I was so fascinated by this guy and really drawn to him. And, um, and I get back from this, uh, you know, this two week family vacation. I go back to my job at Rody and, and immediately I, I had this feeling like, okay, I've done this. And, um, and, and even though I was going to different cities, I was still doing the same thing in those different cities. Mm-hmm. And even though I was, I was able to grow and expand in my role, it was still the same role, the same company. And, um, and when, when Pedro, the, the Costa Rican reached back out to me and said, Hey, we're actually looking for some help with marketing. Immediately I knew it was me. <laughs> and, and it, you know, I, I, I said, I'd, I'd look, you know, I'd, I'd tap my network and see if anyone was interested and, uh, it took me, you know, a week or two to to sit, tell them that I was interested, and it took us two or three months to land on, you know, what what salary and and benefits would be and that kind of thing. And I ended up taking a you know, like a seventy percent pay cut. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, I had the flexibility to work, For you know, sure. half time on site and half time traveling. Costa Rica. Um, yeah, so I was I was living and working at the hotel, uh, or I would be living and working at the hotel, and then. That would be half the time. And the other half of the time, I could be back in Atlanta and working on Brawl for a Cost stuff. Or I could be traveling around South America or traveling around Europe and, and working from coffee shops or hostels. And, and so that kind of flexibility was something that I really was, was craving. I wanted to get out of my little uh, comfortable bubble that, that was Atlanta, where, you know, where I, I did most of my growing up, where, I, where, where my network was strongest, where I had this really firm identity. And and being in tech startups and, and starting world for calls. And, and I could go somewhere where no one knew me except for this one guy that I spent one night at a bar with. And I could, I had this, this shot at completely recreating myself in a different place with none of my, um, you know, uh, like privilege or, or head start that, that I felt like I had in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So I, I got this shot to be like, okay, what am I actually made of? And it came at this really pivotal point in life where it's in my mid twenties. I was like, okay, like, um, it's time to test myself. And so I, I, I made the rounds and, and, you know, the people I trust mentors and parents and close friends and told them about this Costa Rican opportunity. And very few of them were, were supportive. They're like, listen, you're, you're earning more equity every month. It's something that's going to be valuable. You, you were a part of it when shares were 12 cents each and now they're a couple dollars each. And, um, and you get to travel on their dime wherever you want to go. And you're learning how to build a tech startup. And you said you wanted to do that for a long time and all this stuff. And, and they were right. Like if I was just making a decision with my brain, that there's, it's not even a decision. I was staying at, you know, the successful tech startup. Um, but there, there's something pulling me. There's something soulful, something deeper that, that was pulling me to Costa Rica. And, and maybe not even to Costa Rica specifically, but just pulling me outside of my comfort zone. I just needed it to switch things up to get outside of my normal, um, you know, sphere of existence and, and, and get out and, 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 you know, see what I'm, see what I'm made of. So I went to Costa Rica for about, um, seven or eight months and, um, and lived and worked there. And, and, um, the funny thing is, is a, a lot of the same, um, key components of my identity in Atlanta just immediately manifested in, in Costa Rica within the first two weeks, I was leading two boxing classes for <laughs> one, one for, for kids at yeah. the, the, um, it's, it's like a half Quaker, half Costa Rican town. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Quaker school, uh, I was, I was teaching like an after school boxing program. And then the other one was more of an MMA program and like local cops would come and some adults would come. Um, and then, you know, I was going out and, and dancing. I really loved to dance and, um, it was really easy to, to find dance partners in, in Monteverde, especially with salsa and cumbia. Um, and, you know, it, it just uh, immediately felt like, like okay, I, I have a spot in this little community here. And then as I spent more time down there, I was like, oh, like, I just am who I am. Like, like I may have gone to high school in Atlanta and, and have, like, a network that can help me get, you know, things off the ground in Atlanta and, but that, that was built almost immediately when I was in Monteverde too. So maybe that's just wherever I go, I can, I can recreate that. It, it built a lot of like confidence and, and momentum in me to just be like, okay, like I am who I am regardless of where I am. Yeah. And, and home isn't a physical place. It's not a, 
a specific skyline or or a specific bed. It's it's me. I'm I'm home when I'm in flow with myself and I'm in touch with my intuition and 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 making decisions from a place of authenticity and truth rather than um, what what I think I should be doing or what society thinks I should be doing. And um, and I, I think getting away and proving that to myself was the most important thing I could do because you can listen to this podcast or you can listen to countless other people that have gone through a similar experience that will tell you the same exact thing. For sure. But it's the truth that you just have to live and do yourself in order to know it. You can't just listen to it and be like, oh, like, no, I get me it. too. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's it, you actually have to do the work. You can listen to all these people go on and on about um, how, you know, you can do anything you want, but until you try something that you want to do and do it, you don't actually know it. It hasn't been proven to you because you, you haven't rolled up your sleeves. Yeah, and It's only in the mind. It's not experience in the body through your energy. Yeah. We're, we're just, you know, like through empirical evidence of like, I've done that. Like it's mm-hmm. done. I, I have the, you know, I have the medal from the race that I said I was going to do, or I, I have the beautiful relationship from the, the uh, boyfriend or girlfriend that I put time and effort and empathy into. You know, it's, it's a matter of, um, you know, knowing that there are no shortcuts that you just have to do the work and, and put yourself outside your comfort zone and test yourself in order to actually know who you are. Cause if you don't, then you can have a theory on who you could be, but it, it won't be real until you, you, you turn that potential energy into kinetic. Totally. And, and there's some people, and this goes back to the, how much control do we have over our own lives? And how much are we able to evolve? Because some people say that we're kind of a blank slate, like we're this vessel. And we can become whoever we want to be based on how we're evolving and the experiences that we're having and who we want to become and how we respond to things and how much we're growing. But there's also this theory that we have uh, natural tendencies and natural energetic expressions and we can have certain experiences that our, our true selves are saying, yes, this is me. No, this is not me. And there's other people that say, no, like you can be whoever you want to be and you can evolve into whoever you want to evolve into. I think this kind of goes back to what you said earlier, but you're under the, the, the mindset that you have a true self that is very unique and you were born with certain gifts and talents and opportunities and it's your job to uncover those and maximize those strengths into whatever they want to manifest into. Yeah. And to simplify that and boil it down, I, I think the, the perception of control that, that we are in control over our lives is an expression of ego. I, I think it gives ourselves way too much power, but we, we don't know how we got here. We don't know how we have consciousness. We don't know where we're going when we're dead. There, there's so much that we don't know about that are core to this, this life experience that we're all coexisting in. And, and the, the illusion of control is just us wanting to control something that, that we think we can because we're, we're so out of control all the time. We can't control the weather. You know, it's yeah. something that happens every day. We, sure. we can walk outside, it could be pouring down rain or it could be the most beautiful sunshine of all time. But um, I think that, that, that same kind of uh, thought pattern, that same kind of experience extends to what's going on in our heads. You know, it, we, we could wake up one day and, and, and feel really low energy and feel like um, everything's hopeless. And, and you know, I, I've been there before. And I, I think what, what, what we can control and, and where our, our ego could maybe help us is, hey, I'm, I'm better than these feelings. I can rise above this and do what I need to do regardless of how I feel. But I, I think just like when, when we talk about balance and that spectrum, I, I think that can be taken too far. I think sometimes when you wake up and you feel shitty, that's for a reason. And, and you should lean into that authentic feeling of my body needs rest and recovery. Mm-hmm. I, I need, I need to take time to reflect on why I feel shitty. Yeah. And, and, and so I, I think, I think for a lot of the like, hyperactive overachiever types that say, Hey, no matter how you feel, wake up. And, uh, you know, if you're a writer, write 500 words, no matter what every day, no matter what. <laughs> and you know, that militaristic kind of like, you know, ultra discipline kind of approach, 
it works for some people if you define work as as um, short-term productivity um but when it comes to long-term health and happiness and, and purpose i i think I, I think being in tune with your your, your true self and, and giving yourself what you actually need not necessarily what you what you want um is a much a much better strategy for um for, for just a, a, a way to be in, instead of do, you know, just, sure. um, just, just kind of surrendering or, or sinking into to being instead of getting caught up in the cycle of, of, of doing. For sure. Absolutely. And um, what is the best book or um, kind of leader or sort of transformational experience that you had that kind of projected you down the path of wanting to discover more than just like the typical uh, religion, right? Like a lot of people find their spiritual safety in religion and they're saying, okay, this already exists. I grew up in this area. I want to subscribe to this, this belief system. You, did you always have the belief system? Did you did that you have right now? And if not, what was kind of like the thing that projected you down this path? Okay, well, we already discussed The Alchemist, so we'll put a pin in that one, but I, I definitely recommend reading that first. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was raised pretty tunnel vision, uh, Christianity. You know, I, I went to a, a very devout Christian elementary school called Charlotte Christian School, uh, where we prayed before every class and um, had, you know, Bible really interwoven into every subject that we studied. Um, and And I... And from a very young age, I, and for years, you know, this, this stayed constant in my life, but I, I told my parents and my teachers and everyone that I wanted to be a missionary. Um, and that was what I wanted to be when I grew up. You know, people said athlete or, or firefighter or astronaut or whatever, but mine was, mine was missionary. And when I got to Westminster in, in Atlanta, it, it's technically a Christian school uh, in that it has Christian values at its, at its core, but it took a very academic approach to religion. So I got, I got to see not just Christianity, uh, Christianity, but, um, but Islam and, and Judaism and, um, even Eastern religions like, like Hinduism and, and Buddhism through this academic lens where I could compare and contrast them without fear of, of being, um, you know, judged by my hyper Christian teachers. It's like, because I liked something in Hinduism that I now as a polytheist and going to hell, you know, it, um, I never felt that kind of judgment or, or fear at Westminster. So I was, I was able to start doubting Christianity, which when, when you doubt something, it's a really good sign because it means you're, you're testing how much you believe in it. Um, and, and you're, you're, you're making these, these micro uh, proofs to yourself of every time you overcome a doubt, you become stronger in your faith. And every time you, you succumb to doubt and, and, and there's a hole in something, well, then you can, you, you have space in, in whatever you believe to fill it with, with something else that, that you, you do believe. Mm -hmm. So um, I think at Westminster, I started to realize, okay, um, all, all religions are, are really saying the same thing in different ways. And, and those different ways are just expressions of, of different cultural contexts. You know, if, um, if every major monotheistic religion has a figurehead, so in Christianity it's Jesus, and um, in, in Islam it's Muhammad, in Judaism it's Moses, and in, in Buddhism it's, it's Siddhartha or, or Buddha. All of these all of these figureheads have very similar qualities, and, and the differences differences really rely rely on or, or, or rooted in where those figureheads come from. So Islam being a, a more um, combative kind of culture. Muhammad was a warrior, and um, and, and you know Judaism constantly being oppressed and and uh, and having to uproot and move their civilization. Their their figurehead was in Moses, this this leader who who um, who, who led his people uh, through the desert for forty years and and, um, and and found safe haven for them in the Promised Land, and um, and and. Yeah, once I started seeing all these kind of similarities and, and comparing and contrasting religions, I, I got really, um, really obsessed with it. And, and, and what I landed on is that all of them are rooted in truth. 
And, and where they get carried away is when too much ego or, or, or cultural context um, is emphasized. So in the Catholic Church, I, I think, um, has done amazing and terrible things for humanity. You know, they've, they've, they've been patrons of, of some of the most incredible art um, that we've ever experienced. I, I think that they've led a lot of really good people to uh, become leaders and, and really um, flawed people to, to change their ways and, and become contributing members of society. Um, but I, I also think that when something that is inherently good is, is run by people that are ego or, or resource motivated, that um, it, it can it can lead to something like what happened during the Reformation, which is um, the, the Catholic Church became corrupt. It began selling short shortcuts to heaven through indulgences. You can pay away your sins instead of actually repenting, going through confession and, and, and saying your Hail Marys and, and doing your your good works in order to, to repent, you could just pay your way out. Mm -hmm. And, and people started looking at us like, well, who's that favor? Because it doesn't really line up with the Bible where, um, you know, poor people give, uh, you know, a 10th of what they own and, um, and, and are celebrated by, by Jesus, even though it was a relatively small contribution, like should, should it be tied on percentage, but no, the Catholic church was operating like a business then. And I'm going down a rabbit hole, but it's, for a reason, because I, I think, I think this, um, I, I think that religion has led to more, more death, more, more war, more conflict than anything else in history. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, I think that's silly. I, I don't think it needs to be that way because we're all saying the same things. We're, we're saying that there's, um, some degree of, of balance to life. Um, whether it's, it's karma and Buddhism, this, this balance between yin and yang or, or action and reaction, uh, whether it's the golden rule in Christianity, do unto others as you want them to do unto you, or, or whether it's even science, which I, I classify as a religion also. It, it, in Newton's third law, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. All of these core building blocks of, of every foundation in religion is saying the same thing about balance. Mm -hmm. So if we can cut through the, the ego of our own culture's um, reading or understanding of, of that core principle, then we can realize that we're all just the same people living the same way in different places and at different times. And um, I, I think that there's something really unifying about that. And I think the impetus to, to me starting to think that way, and, and this is what circles back to your question about a resource that is help shape my, my current spiritual beliefs that, that I would recommend is um, really, really two books. One is more, you know, on, on the head for your question, which is um, one of two books by Thich Nhat Hanh. Thich Nhat Hanh is T-H-I-C-H-N-H-A-T-H-A-N-H. -H -H. So Thich Nhat Hanh, he's a, a Buddhist monk that lives in Plum Village in France. Um, and, and a really um, amazing thinker and writer and, and speaker. Um, but the first book that I read by him was, was when I withdrawn from law school and I was super depressed and, and a friend gave me a book called Happiness by Thich Nhat Hanh. And um, the, the way it was written so simply um, and, and so straightforward, it, it felt like he was talking directly to me. And, and the, the truth in it was so applicable it's, it's, it's not something where I had to, you know, go, go buy a, a specific, you know, mat to pray on or had to read a, a specific book a certain way. It was just things that I could do in my everyday life that really helped me be more mindful and present and empathetic and, and just a better person. And, and it did bring more happiness in my life. And, and once I read that one, I wanted to read more of what he wrote. So the next one that I picked up was Fear. Um, and Thich Nhat Hanh writes about a lot of things, but one of, one of his themes is he'll pick a, a basic human um, experience like happiness or like fear, and he'll go 100 miles deep. Mm -hmm. So instead of yeah. trying to, to write one book that covers everything, he'll just write um, everything about one little topic. Yeah. And, and so Fear... I, I finished reading right around the time that I was leaving to go to Costa Rica. 
And, um, and I was so scared to make this decision because I was leaving this company that I helped build and, uh, you know, this, these coworkers that had become family and, um, this really, you know, well-paying job with, uh, where I was earning more and more uh, equity in the company every month. And, um, and even though I was, I was scared, you know, this, this spiritual work, um, by Thich Nhat Hanh was like, yeah, that, that means you're going the right direction. Fear is your friend. It's fuel. It's, it's something that's inherent. And, and um, you can see fear as something that scares you away from doing something, or you'd see it as the opportunity to express courage. And um, that, that, um, that embarkation, that, that, that departure from, from my comfort zone was, was exactly that. It was a way to, um, to, to not just express courage, but express identity and, and figure out who I am, why I am and what I want to do with it. That's great. That's awesome. Matt, thank you. This is, this is great. Um, we're going to have to have you back on the podcast because there's so much that I want to go into on just the topic of fear. I think that is so essential and so crucial. Um, and you obviously lead your life diving into those moments of pain and fear and grow from that. And that's really great. If you could leave everybody with one thing that you feel would be very impactful. We talked about identity. We talked about intuition. We talked about control. We talked about so many different things. What would be the one thing that you'd want to tell people? Yeah, do something that makes you uncomfortable every day. So, so pick something today, whether it's talking to a stranger, or whether it's doing a task that you've been putting off for whatever reason, or um, however you can test who you are and, and, and express yourself in a way that you don't usually do it. Um, take this as a, as a challenge or an opportunity to lean into a growth opportunity today. Get, get uncomfortable and, and, uh, and see what you're made of. Awesome. Thank you, Matt. And Matt and I are going to be hosting a retreat in Bali along with Megan Elman. And that is going to be for New Year's this year. So if anybody wants to attend that retreat that's listening, it's open to anybody. We are limiting it to 20 spots. So go ahead and reach out. I'll put Matt's contact information in the bio below.